If you have a Bible, open it up to Psalm chapter 93. We'll be in Psalm 93 today, continuing our Psalm series that we've been in this year. And what we've been learning in the Psalms is uh, the way that our real lives come into collision with God's truth. And so we don't go for one or the other. We don't go just for authenticity. We don't just go for truth, but we feel like those things collide together in the Psalms. God calls us to be authentic, to be real about our emotions, but also to come into collision with His eternal truth, His absolute truth. So we've seen that modeled here in the Psalms. It teaches us how to pray. It teaches us how to worship. It teaches us how to have Christian friendships and relationships. And this morning, we're calling the sermon Collide with the King because we have this like lofty vision, this big vision of God as King. And so what we see here is this vision of when everything else seems to be going crazy in our life, just the reality, just the vision that God is still King, that He's still sovereign, that He still reigns, that brings us great peace in the craziness of our day-to-day life. And so it's a great a picture for us. It's a great encouragement for us. Um, it's one of the shorter psalms we'll look at this year. Um, there's a lot of psalms that do this kind of thing where it just gives you this, this picture, this vision of God as the exalted one, as the king over the universe. So let's read it together. Psalm 93. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we've got some black Bibles scattered around. You could grab one under one of the chairs. We'll be on page 498 in that Bible, page 498. It's Psalm 93. It says, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He is put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from of everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Let me pray and ask God to to teach us this this morning. God, we receive uh, your word. We thank you for giving us uh, this psalm and this vision of you as king. And God, we pray that you would give us eyes to faith because you know the reality we live in day to day. We don't always feel this to be true. And so we pray that you would teach us. We pray that you would open up our hearts, that we would see that you are king, that you are mighty, and that you are good. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was never uh, much of an athlete, but I got to be a part of good athletic programs when I was in high school. went to a big high school where sports were very important, great Hall of Fame coaches, and uh, just a good program there. And one of the things that they taught us was to envision success. Any of you ever been through like a leadership course or some kind of self-help environment where you're told to envision yourself uh, conquering the project or the thing you're engaged in? Raise your hand if you've ever heard that sort of thing. It's pretty good advice. It's pretty practical Um, I remember thinking often, you know, trying to fantasize about winning that championship or fantasize about uh, coming first in a race or, you know, different things like that and really tried to make that work. Uh, I remember even one time for a English class, for a literature class, we were doing poetry analysis and I decided to analyze one of the great literary works of our time uh, by a group called Queen. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. It's a song called We Are the Champions. Do you know this song? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that song. We are the champions, my friend. We'll keep on fighting till the end. Why? 
because we are the champions, right? I mean, very, it's complex, it's hard to follow at points, uh, but there in that song, in that text, you have the same concept of envisioning success, right? Thinking of yourself as the one that will conquer, seeing yourself as king. Now, I, I actually believe there's practical benefit in that. I think in a lot of the self-help stuff out there, there's actually some practical wisdom there of if you're trying to complete a project, imagining what it looks like to finish and do it well. I think that is actually helpful. But in real life, sometimes we're just, we're just overwhelmed by the storms of reality. And what the scriptures take us to is something even more important than envisioning ourselves as champion or envisioning ourselves as a conquering king is seeing the reality of the real king over the universe. And so the psalm kind of lifts us up after, out of our kind of day-to-day life where we're struggling along with our projects and things we're working on where we want to conquer and we want to be king. And it says, you know what? There's a great king over everything. There is this king of the universe that created all things. And if you lift yourself up and look at him and get this vision of how big he is and how great he is, that will make all the difference in your life day to day. It's a beautiful vision. It's something that the Psalms do again and again. It, it, it at some levels, is not as practical as other Psalms, but what this teaches us is that it is hugely practical to just have this vision of God as the exalted king, as the king that's sovereign, the one who reigns over all things. And so the first thing that I want us to see here in the text in just the first couple of verses that he is king over creation. And so what the text does is it knits together uh, the reality that he's king by right of his power, but also by right of his reality as the creator. He, he was there first. He came before us. Let's look at verse 1 and 2 again. It says, the Lord reigns. This is this all capital letters. Whenever you see that in an English translation of the Old Testament, that means uh, the name Yahweh or Jehovah, which was his, his personal covenantal name that he revealed himself to Moses. Uh, translates roughly to I am, the great I am, or I will be there for you. It's this uh, a lot of scholars, you know, debate exactly what it means because it's a form of the verb to be, but it's slightly different, and it's God's personal name. So it's this idea that he's going to be there for us. So he is, he's there, right? I am. Uh, apart from us, he, he's there, and we can trust him. He's solid. It says the Lord reigns. It means he's the king. He's in charge. And then it says he's robed in majesty. That means he's clothed in the outfit of a king, in the uniform of a king. He looks like a king. He's, he's clothed in, in glory or greatness or, or bigness. He's a king over all creation. It says, the Lord is robed, repeats it again, and now it says, he has put on strength as his belt. So first it was saying he's clothed in majesty, right? Just general greatness. Now specific, he's put on strength as his belt, so he is strong. And this language is language that would be used for a warrior strapping on armor. So he is mighty. He can protect us. He's strong enough to defeat the enemies out there. He's strong enough to defeat evil and the chaos in this world. And so it's this vision of both the the clothing that a king would wear, but also the the clothing that a great and mighty warrior would wear. I don't know if you've ever uh, dressed in something that you feel like was mighty. Uh, We have a lot of soldiers here, a lot of soldiers who have uh, worn the, the belt of strength, which I, I would say in the Hebrew here, it's talking about armor. Um, we have body armor. A lot of guys wear, I've got a picture of guys in the army there with their guns, with their body armor, with their ammo, with all their equipment strapped on. Um, I've, 
I've actually gotten to wear body armor before. I'm, I've never been in the military. I'm not military, uh, but I got to go to a Table 8 gunnery where tanks were, you know, uh, basically being tested and make sure they were shooting straight and all that, and I got to go as a VIP. And so I strapped on armor. But there's a difference between me strapping on armor and a real warrior strapping on armor, right? Like when I strap on armor, I almost feel silly. I, I almost feel like, I feel like that five-year-old that was wearing dress-up clothes from his closet. You know, I mean, that's kind of how I felt when I was strapping on this body armor. I wasn't strapping it on because I was a warrior. I was strapping it on just because I was their guest and they didn't want me to get killed, right? Um, And this is an important distinction to make. What I want you to follow here is that there's a sense in which we can be clothed in majesty. We can put on outfits that are impressive. We can put on armor. We can put on the robes of a king. But he's the only king that all the way down to his character has that majesty from within him. It's coming from the inside out. And so what the text does here is it connects it to his role as creator. So not only is he strapping on the the robe of strength, the belt of strength, the armor of a warrior, the robes of a king, but he's the creator of everything. So so look at uh, verse 2 as it continues. He's he's not just the king that's just wearing a crown and, and dressed up. He's the king over all creation. Verse 2 says, Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. Before that, the second half of verse 1, the world is established. It shall never be moved. It's talking about his role as the creator of the world. There's a solidness. There's a majesty. There's a bigness that he has as king that goes beyond any earthly king. And that's the important vision that the psalmist wants us to see up front. The psalmist wants us to collide with this vision of how big he is. He's king, not just because he has on a majestic robe, not just because he's strapped on some impressive armor. He's king because he's made everything. And in our day-to-day life, when everything else is up and down, when everything else is going crazy, we need to have that vision that there's a king that's greater than us. There's a king that's greater than whoever's giving us a hard time in life or whoever's making our life difficult or whoever's in authority over us that's making our life miserable. There's a greater king out there. So as a preacher, you know, I, I've taken preaching classes, right? I've been taught how to preach. One of the things I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to give you practical application. I'm supposed to tell you what to do with this, right? What's interesting is the psalm doesn't really give a lot of practical application. The psalm just throws out this vision and says, God is the great king. There you go. He's the great king. And so what I want you to hear is that this is enough. I don't have to give you five steps. Just know that he's the king. Just know that he's the great king. That right there is life-changing. But believe that. When everything else is falling apart in your life, believe that he is the great king that is mighty, that is robed in majesty, that is strapped on uh, the, the belt of strength. This is one that's created all things. Know that. Believe that he is king over all creation. That makes a difference. That's not something for you to do. That's just something for you to know, something for you to rest in. An unshakable truth in a world where everything else is shakable, where everything else can, can fall apart at a moment's notice. Know this to be real. The, the next thing that we see as we move through the text is that he's the king despite the chaos. So when things do start getting flipped upside down, remember again, he's the king. Remember the vision. He's the one exalted over everything else. And what we'll see here in verses 3 and 4 is kind of a, a contrast that the psalmist sets up here. It's obvious for us as Westerners to see the poetry in this psalm. It's, it's kind of more poetic to us than most of the other psalms we see because he's got a lot of repetition, right? So look at verse 3 and 4 here. He's got a repetition about the chaos and about how 
God the King is exalted over the chaos. So look at this in three. He says, the floods have lifted up, O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Look at this repetition. The floods, the crazy waters of life that are tearing everything down in our world, in our neighborhood, in our homes, in our lives, they're roaring. They're lifting up their voice. They're exalting themselves, the powers of chaos in this world. And I want to remind you again that throughout the Old Testament, floods and rivers and the sea and waters are always images of death and chaos and destruction. The Hebrews didn't really, they didn't have a swim team. They weren't really into water, okay? Um, they, They saw it as a negative thing. Think back to the imagery of Genesis, right? Back where Noah was saved through the waters of death, but the whole world was destroyed and judged in, in the waters of in the chaos of death. And then think through how God adopted his people Israel. He brought them through the Red Sea. The Red Sea parted, and then the waves crashed in on God's enemies, the Egyptians. We've seen that image brought up throughout the Psalms. They talk about the sea monster Rahab. Uh, they talk about the sea monster Leviathan, these powers that have exalted themselves against God, that are pushing against God, and those are powers that God in the end destroys and crushes. It even becomes an image in the New Testament. We've talked about this with baptism. We'll have a baptism next week where people will mark themselves as belonging to Christ. This is the public inf- uh, entrance into the covenant community. And it, there's two symbols. There's a symbol of washing, right? That the waters wash away our sin, but there's also the symbol of death and resurrection, it says in Colossians. So throughout the uh, Bible, the, the waters are the symbol of, of powers pushing back against God, of death, of chaos, and the text is reminding us that he's still king, even though these crazy waters are making our life insane, even though everything's falling apart. He's still king. So we've got the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. And then contrast that with verse 4. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. He's stronger than those waters of chaos. Everything else may be turned upside down, in your life, everything else may be falling apart. God's, he's still exalted above those things. He's still mightier than those things. I have a picture here of uh, floodwaters overtaking uh, a, a Buddha statue in Thailand. You can see tree roots even growing over his head. There are going to be times in your life where, where the power that you've been trusting in is getting overwhelmed by the floodwaters of chaos in your life. There will be times when the God that has been saving you so you think the God of money, the God of that relationship you're counting on, the God of pleasure, the God, whatever God it is you're trusting in is going to get overwhelmed by the floodwaters of life. And what the psalm is saying is that when those floodwaters are overwhelming everything, know that the real king of the universe is mightier than all those things. Know that he's, he's lifted up, he's exalted over all of those things. Know that he's bigger, know that he's stronger. I've, my question for you is, what would be your worst case scenario? What would be your worst case scenario of everything being washed away, of everything falling apart? Um, as, a, as a pastor, one of the privileges I have, but one of the painful things that I get to be a part of is walking with people through their worst case scenarios. I, I hold people's hands when these worst case scenarios happen. And oftentimes, their faith shames me when they're facing disasters that they never imagined could come true, I I see them still trusting that God is still king overall. That God is still king and God is still good, even though 
Everything else in their life is being washed away. And I want to encourage you to see that as well. The, the psalm tells us, God's still king. The floodwaters of life may come and wash everything away in your life. Know that God is still king. He's exalted over those things. But also, begin to live in community with other believers because that will encourage your faith as well. You'll see other people experience this, know this in their own life as, as they lose things that are very dear to them, but they cling to the reality that God is king and God is good. Their faith will encourage you the same way it encourages me. Some of the great privileges as a pastor, as, as someone who walks through those horrible things with people, is I, my faith is actually strengthened as I see people continue to trust that God is good, that God is king, even though everything else has gone nuts in their life. The last thing that we learn here in the text in verse 5 is that he's a king that can be trusted. So he's mighty, he's mighty, he's mighty. He's lifted up, right? We keep seeing these images of he's, he's bigger than everything, he's above everything, he reigns over everything, he's the God over all creation. He can be trusted. So hear that. He's not just great, but he's also good. He's not just great, but he's also good. Verse 5, your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Your decrees are trustworthy. Do you believe that? Do you believe he can be trusted? A lot of confusion about obeying God's law, about uh, living in immorality, living in rebellion. Um, We don't obey God's law to get God to love us. The only reason it ever makes sense to obey God's law is because we know he's good and he's trustworthy. That's why I would hope that you would begin to obey God's law. That's why I would hope that you would begin to Put away immorality and crazy living in your life because you've come to trust that God is good, that he's trustworthy. And that's what he's saying here. His decrees, the things he says, his decrees as king, his statutes, his his law, his word, what he says can be trusted. He's a God that can be trusted. And then he said, holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Now, in the Old Testament context, this house would have been their place of worship, right? The temple or the tabernacle, depending on the exact time of the writing, but the idea of the place where God's people gathered to worship him. And remember how God had it set up in Exodus. He put his law at the heart of the place of worship. He put his word, his decrees at the heart of his house. And that's continued even in the New Testament, right? The the promise of the new covenant is that God's law will be written on our hearts. The New Testament, Jesus says, "I'm, I'm the house, I'm the temple now and the apostles spin that out and say well we the church are the body of christ his presence here on earth so we're called to be his presence his hands and feet in the world to express the reality of christ's love to our neighbors to our friends and to our enemies to show what christ is like and so we're supposed to embody this same reality to show that god's word is trustworthy as it's written on our hearts and as we live it out as the presence in the house of god in the world we're, we're supposed to translate this for people. Do you believe that he's trustworthy? Do you believe that you can trust his decrees? That's what the psalmist is telling us. You can trust him. I have a picture of a sign here. Um, if, if you are communicated, if you see this sign communicated, what, what does this mean? Just shout out what this means. Water fountain, right? Okay, what about this? Poison, danger, there's words, so that's cheating, right? Danger, poison, okay, you can read that. Um, now, what if you walked up to a water fountain and it said danger, poison? What would you do? Would you drink out of the water fountain? No, you wouldn't drink out of the water fountain, right? God's word is communicating to us what we can trust, what we can't trust. He's guiding us. His, his word is trustworthy. And that's what I want you to understand here. He's calling us to himself. He's saying, come to me. Come to me. I'll, 
I'll take care of you. I, I love you. I'm not, I'm not telling you to do this and not do that because I'm arbitrary or because I'm this angry, capricious God. But I do this because I love you. And so we have to remember that his, his word is trustworthy. He's not just a great and mighty king, but he's a king that can be trusted. He's a good king. And so this translates in our own life. If we believe this, then we'll live it out. If we believe that he's a king that can be trusted, if we believe this verse is objectively true, that God's word can be trusted, and his house is this beautiful place of holiness, we'll live that out in our life. We will be people whose his word is written on our heart and we live out his presence. We are his house. We are the body of Christ in the world. So my question for you is, are you, are you living that out? Are you living that out? Like I said earlier, sometimes it's just enough to know God's greatness. We don't always have to have a practical application. But I think here with the vision of the New Testament to be God's presence, to be the temple, I want to just suggest a few applications. What could that look like for you? What could be a next step for you? I don't know all of your lives personally, so I just want to throw out a couple of ideas of what that could look like. One of them, just because of the timing this week, we're, we're having Compassion Sunday. This is an opportunity for us to partner as uh, the richest Christians in the world with the poorest Christians in the world, to just come alongside them, to share in their burdens. I, I would hope that many of you would, would go sponsor a child. This is a great organization that speaks the love of Jesus with real words, but also practically by helping them with medical care and uh, social work and education, partnering with churches that are already doing great ministry. It's a, it's a great organization. That would be a real way that you could live out the presence of God, that you could show that God is trustworthy and you could live that out in real reality. Another way that you could do that is by joining in community with other Christians. One of the things we talk about a lot here at Grace Bible Church is living in community with other Christians. This week, you could, you could do something about that. You could find a group or a class at the church to join. You could grab a, a brother or a sister in the faith and say, hey, let's, let's meet for coffee and start praying for each other once a week. Let's look at the scripture together and pray for each other, encourage each other to live this out, to have God's law written on our heart and to be God's presence, God's house in the world. That's something that you could do this week. A final application that I would suggest is just sharing, talking about this faith that you have. When we think about being the church and being God's presence in the world, having his law written on our heart and being the house where God dwells in this crazy world of chaos, you could be someone that just talks about the deeper things of life with your friends, with your neighbors. Sometimes you don't even know what to say. I said a few weeks ago, I remember this, this moment in time when I was a teenager and I was at church and they were talking about how uh, followers of Christ talk about Jesus with other people. Y'all remember what I said at that point? I was like, all right, then I'm out. I'm not interested in that. I don't want to talk to people about Jesus. I do not want to do, that's just weird. And, you know, I told you God has a sense of humor. Here I am talking about Jesus now. Um, so I warn you, that could happen to you too. But just, just that little step. And if you don't know what to say, just ask questions, right? Like, try to figure out, well, if I believe God's decrees are trustworthy, that God can be relied on, what do you think is trustworthy? Just ask good questions. Get to know what other people believe. It's a great place to start. So those are just three things you could do this week. But I think the psalm gives us this vision that if we, if we really believe he's the king over all things, then we're going to live that out in the way that we live. And the vision here is, again, Old Testament. The way God set that up was he, he said, I'm going to establish my presence that I'm trustworthy by giving my law and having a presence where my people 
communicate who I am through my house there in Jerusalem. We know now that that's our responsibility. It's not just in Jerusalem anymore, but now we're scattered to the corners of the earth. And, and we're a part of that. We are God's people. We are to establish his presence in the world. That's God's call on us. As we think about how reliable God is as this great and mighty king, I'm, I'm reminded of a couple key verses. And we're going to just uh, close and remember this by singing together one final song. But there's just two verses, two sections of scripture I want to remind you of. One is Romans 8 that says, Nothing can separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus. Nothing. No chaos, no floodwaters of this life. Nothing can separate us from the love that we have in Christ Jesus. Jesus died for us. That's the story. God became flesh, took our sins upon himself, and died on the cross for us so that we can be forgiven. And what we celebrated last week at Easter and what we celebrate every Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, is that he didn't stay in the grave, but he conquered sin and death once and for all for us. Nothing can separate us from that love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. If you trust him, you can be forgiven. God delights in you as his very own child. And then in John chapter 10, another beautiful picture that nothing can shatter the grip of our king. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and nothing can snatch them out of my hand. Nothing can snatch you out of his hand. Do you, do you believe that? He's the king over all of creation and nothing can pry you out of his grip. He's got you. You can trust him even when everything else is going crazy in your life. You're secure. Trust him. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing this final song that reminds us of how strong his grip and his love is in our life. God, we thank you that you love us and you know our hearts, Lord, that, we, that we're knocked around by the waves of this world. God, you know that we doubt that you're still here. We doubt that you're still king. We often doubt that you're good. And so, God, I pray that you would remind us. I pray that you would give us a renewed vision that you are the king over all creation, that you are mighty, mightier than all the chaos of this world, and that you are good, that you are trustworthy. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust your word. As we sing in this song, help us to believe the incredible love that you have for us. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.